o'clock. Um, welcome to the 22nd episode of uh, UK Tech Investment Weekly presented by Delight. Uh, my name is Manu Chwanavira and I've been obviously running this uh, for 21 weeks uh, with Andrew and uh, Suat. So, Andrew, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Of course, yes. My name is Andrew. I run a health tech uh, based in Manchester, and we supply um, e-shedding or kind of clinical workforce management for the NHS. Stuart? Good, uh, good afternoon, everybody from Sunny Lancashire. So I run a SaaS consultancy helping B2B SaaS companies grow their indirect channel, their indirect sales channel, and I have some investments in an SMS and a podcast data company. Um, my name is Mano Chwanavira. Uh, I run an organization called TechSelrate. We work with early stage UK tech companies from pre-product, pre-revenue to all the way uh, up to and beyond a million plus. Uh, so sort of pre-seed to series A plus. Um, we've been, as part of this work, we have been collecting investment data since May 2018. Uh, we started sharing that through a weekly newsletter, which goes out at Monday 9.15. And then we started this clubhouse session uh, when I got invited uh, back in January. Um, we also using that data to create a web application called Daylight. Daylight is a bit like Crunchbase, but more accurate. Uh, it's actually not user-driven. It's more the data is entered by ourselves. Uh, and then we also have two press release sites where the investment news can be published free of charge. Um, and the other side is for uh, m news. So we're trying to understand what's happening with the UK tech investment landscape. Um, and part of that understanding is to share that knowledge, um, especially by speaking to four founders who have raised investment re- uh, recently. Uh, the, the session is 60 minutes long. It's recorded, so please don't please don't share anything that you wouldn't share with, you um, know, in, in a public forum. Um, we we um, we split the session into three areas. I start with getting to know the founders. Uh, Andrew will step in around 20 minutes time to um, understand the the fundraising journey, and then the last 20 minutes, uh, Stuart, uh, get involved with understanding your growth strategy. Uh, and and how you take the product to market uh, and and the traction that comes with it. So without further ado, I got we go by how individuals appear on the screen. Uh, first, I have Anthony. Uh, Anthony, you are uh, building a, a legal tech company. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, how you started uh, the company? What what made you um, sort out the problem you're solving? Uh, and also give it to us update in terms of uh, did you find, you know, about your team? How did you find the co-founders, etc.? Thank you. Thanks very much. Please be a part of it. So, my name is Anthony Seal, and I founded Legatics. Legatics is a legal um, uh, transaction management platform, um, which is a SaaS product, um, and it's generally sold to law firms for them to manage their legal transactions on. Um, so I, I had an interesting career journey. I started doing um, satellite data analysis at the Scott Polar Research Institute in Cambridge, and I did an MPhil there, um, and then did the quite unusual um, thing of somebody with a kind of 
data science and science background of going and becoming a lawyer. Um, and I joined a firm called Clifford Chance. So I qualified in their project finance team and we were doing um, the financings of large infrastructure projects. Uh, and what I found was an industry that uh, operated in a way that just didn't make sense to me with my prior mindset of data and process and efficiency. Um, and it seemed like there was an enormous opportunity to improve the way that large-scale legal transactions would run. Um, so after about four years in that job, I, I left that job and I started Legatics. Um, and I originally started um, programming it um, myself. I was going to, although I had some sort of data science background, um, I hadn't done any web work before. Um, and I was going to do it with a technical person and um the technical person was umming and ahhing about whether to join the project. And in the meantime, I started building the thing myself, um, mainly to have a better conversation with the um, person who's going to do the technical side of the business. But that just went on and on and on. And I learned more and more and more um, and then um, got some more professional help. And eventually that basically became the first version of the product. Um, and um, from there, I managed to raise a very small angel round, about £100,000, um, which let me bring um, uh, Daniel Porras into the business, um, who um, helped take the product to market. Um, and since then, we've been taking the product to market, selling it, building up a customer base. We're now at about 30 people, um, and we've just completed the £3 million Series A round with Mobius. Thank you very much, Anthony. Uh, I've got Francesca next. Um, you're obviously uh, working on a very timely area, um, um, you know, finding places you love. Uh, would you mind, um, again, doing the same thing, uh, explaining how you got into this uh, particular business, uh, your background, and uh, about how you found your co-founders, et cetera, please? Yes, hi. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so we, at the app that, um, that we launched at the beginning of 2020 is called Bimble. <clears throat> and Bimble is an app for great little places. So what we are really trying to do is redefine a category looking at where the ratings and the review platforms have gone wrong. So we look at ratings and review platforms and we understand that they are 20 years old. Um, they feel out of date in the way they look and feel, but also um, out of date with today's consumer. So we saw that as the opportunity to... Um, to, to bring about a positive platform um, and one where we could find the great little places that are loved by other people rather than all the places in the world. And we had the idea actually when um, I was working for a travel company and we I was tasked with the travel company sold holidays on a telephone-based sales model and they had asked me to come on board to translate that into a digital product. Um, and actually we had the idea for Bimble during that process because what we realized as we were looking at holidays is that what people do on their holidays, the experiences that that holiday company was selling, again, were, were glass bottom boat trip, whale watching. We were chasing a younger audience, so we needed to understand what those younger audiences could do to pass their time enjoyably in those locations. And finding that information out was very difficult. So there is a huge amount of commission-based information being shared within travel communities. We knew that we wanted that information to come to peer-to-peer. -peer. We then understood the relationship between user-generated content and authentic information. Um, 
And we thought that that was the opportunity. It was really saying that ratings and reviews doesn't work, but actually the Spotify architecture where you save your music because you love that music, you don't save music that you don't like, um, that lent itself very well to, to places. And so we built Bimble um, based around that. And I suppose if we had to summarize what we're doing, we're really taking the functionality that is required by a geolocational business and we are combining that with the visual inspiration that today's consumer is used to within a social community. Um, and we, at the beginning, we, um, we also took a small angel raise of 200,000 um, pounds and that carried us through until we then, we launched our first seed raise, which was for 840,000 um, pounds. And then we just closed um, at the beginning of this year, we closed our seed B where we took 1.8 million pounds sterling. Um, uh, in terms of co-founders, um, we have been tech in-house right from the beginning. Um, but my co-founder, in fact, I think we spend 50, the way we see ourselves strategically, we spend 50% of our time building the product, focusing on building a great product. We spend 50% of our time thinking about distributing the distribution of that. So how we acquire users and how we engage our users. And my co-founder, who is actually Julia Mallory, who's listening in on this call, um, she has a strong marketing background. So with my product background and her marketing background, um, that is how we that is how we move things forward. Uh, thank you very much, Francesca. So it's, it's more than uh, a four square then, or, or four. Uh, yeah, I mean, we love Foursquare. Um, Foursquare doesn't have great penetration in the United Kingdom. Um, and Foursquare certainly made a corporate decision to become a data company. Um, and whilst we do love it, yeah, we think that there is there's room to just do a whole lot more. Um, and not least, again, to to make the UI feel much more inspirational, much less functional. Thank you very much. So if, if I move to VID, uh, you seem to be doing amazing things. Quantum physics, I know nothing about quantum physics, but you're actually working around uh, um, simulations. So how did you come about this? Um, how, how did you get into this um, uh, business and, and what's the specific problem you're trying to solve? And, and also do share how we build your founder team, please. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks. So thanks, for, thanks for inviting me to the panel. Uh, I'm... Um, so I guess that so the question sort of links up to my background. So my background is in in, um, uh, in quantum physics. I was in academia up until a few years ago. I was working on um, essentially sort of theoretical work linked to many body quantum physics simulations, which has applications in for material science and for chemistry. Uh, and uh, sort of after leaving academia a few years ago, I thought that it was sort of the right time because the topics that I was working on linked up really exciting new technologies. Uh, including simulations, which are becoming orders of magnitude more powerful, and me meaning that we could access, you know, we could do things that were previously impossible. Uh, there are also sort of links to quantum computation, which is a futuristic technology, but there's a lot of sort of trickle down effects. There's a lot of lo lot of technologies that it's that it's accelerating in the um, in the short term, even though quantum computing itself is still sometime in uh, you know still sometime off in the future, and um, and also, all these topics are kind of linked up by, uh, uh, are closely related to um, developments in, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence. So basically, what we're doing as a company is we're uh, using advanced molecular and quantum simulations to simulate aspects of enzymes and um, in order to, to develop small molecule inhibitors. So essentially, drug, early uh, drug candidates. Uh, 
uh, our business model is to develop these and ultimately sell them into um, into pharma. Uh, and um, at the moment, uh, so Quano itself was founded uh, a year ago. Uh, we are a team mostly on the tech side. Uh, so my background is what I just uh, sort of explained briefly. Uh, my uh, the other three co-founders uh, span sort of the topics of molecular simulations, high-performance computing, which is very relevant for what we're doing, and pharma itself, the pharma expertise on the medicinal chemistry side. We, uh, we With, uh, we seem to have lost you. Yeah, we, we, we can't hear you, Ben, I'm afraid. Um, so we'll uh, move and, on. Uh, Excuse me? Um, so, sorry, we lost you for a minute. Uh, continue, please. Ah, sorry. Uh, yeah, and um, so, so yeah, so, so like I was saying, we, we, we met in a we, we met in a previous company, so we kind of know each other well. We worked worked, worked together before, um, and we recently raised uh, altogether one one million pounds uh, from uh, a set of investors based mostly in Cambridge. Uh, sort of early stage investors. The lead investor was uh, is O two H. Angel co-founders also on the round, and sort of some attractive biotech investors uh, like Jonathan Milner um, are also a, a part of the round. And uh, the reason why we sort of took on money from biotech is because we're exactly sort of lacking expertise in that area. So the money is essentially uh, uh, there. The money and the expertise from the investors really is, is there to help us build up uh, business development function in the company and also to um, do actual wet lab work and uh, prove the technology um, at the sort of next level. Uh, thank you very much, Bates. Um, next, we got uh, Jonathan. You raised a whopping fifty million Series B. Uh, I'm sure Andrew will go into that. But uh, can you uh, explain to the audience um, what made you actually get into the insurance sector, uh, and what are you doing with the uh, specifically with U Life, and how how did you build the founder team, please? Sure, I'm very happy to to, to be here and to to chat today. Um, U Life was founded a few years ago. Uh, we have an incredible CEO, Sammy Rubin, who, who really is the, the, the driving force behind everything we do and, and who sets the vision. And um, really, it's, it was Sammy in the beginning bringing together a, a team of us. So we have a very big founding team. There are five of us, all with very different skill sets, um, who, who've come together to, to tackle what is a really big industry, which is, which is life insurance. And I think for us, the, the real thing that we are tackling from a, if you want to look at it from a technical point of view, is changing how insurance is not only perceived, but how it works, where historically insurance has been about claims compensation. It's about when something goes wrong, you pay out. And for us, we fundamentally see a shift in the way insurance is working is that it's no longer about claims compensation. It's about risk mitigation and risk partnership. So it's how do you work with the people who you're looking after to make sure that these risks either don't crystallize or take longer to happen. So for us in, in the life insurance space, that means giving people the tools and then rewarding them for looking after themselves so that we can encourage and reward people for living longer, healthier lives. So for us, our mission is to to inspire people to live their best lives every day, and that really is the guiding force behind the way we look at financial services and insurance more broadly and what we want to bring to, to the market. Um, as mentioned, we, we've been very fortunate to be on a, a very good growth trajectory so far. Uh, so we did a seed round a few years ago, which was led by Local Globe, and that was three million pounds. And then a couple of years ago, we did a, a Series A of, of 10 million pounds, which was 
led by Creandum. Um, and just last last week, we we, we announced our, our Series B, which was was just incredible. Um, so we're on a hopefully a very good growth path, um, just out there impacting hundreds of thousands of lives and, and helping to really change the face of life insurance and, and bring it into the uh, the, the modern world. Um, before I hand over to Andrew, what made you go after the, the business community rather than individually? Was there a reason behind that? Yeah, so it, it was a, a discussion that we had in, in the early days with, with our investors as to, to where we felt we could make the most impact. And for us, at the end of the day, our real goal is to work with individuals uh, not necessarily to, to sell to them, but to work with individuals. So the ULife app is built for people to help them, to inspire them, to live their best lives. And for us, the group life market was an incredible way to get to scale very quickly and to get to a, a group of people in, in, a, in a shorter and quicker way. Um, there also had been, up until that point, literally zero innovation or no change within the within that field for, for very many years. So it was an area very ripe. Um, for change, it's a, it's a very big market um, and has has very few players. So there was a lot of things from an outside perspective that made it a very attractive place to start. Uh, direct to consumer is, is is often seen as the, the, the holy grail, uh, but cost of acquisition is, is super high, um, and it takes a while to to build trust with people on that side as well. So so we we made a decision to start with servicing businesses. Um, just, just one more before I hand over to Andrew. Sorry, Andrew. Um, yes, yeah, so, so I mean uh, we, we have a couple of companies within Texas that's not in insurance, but they are starting with direct to consumer to get the product right um, or, or the basic proposition right, and they they seem to then wanted to move into selling to companies and and then to employees. So um, it's good to see that you you've taken that approach without uh, trialing uh, direct to consumers first. Um, Andrew, over to you, Matt. Great, thank you. Um, so uh, on, on this part of, of the show, um, I'll run through in the same order uh, Manuel was going through earlier. And here we just concentrate a bit more on the um, actual kind of investment and, and, and that process. So um, Anthony, kind of uh, back over to you with um, uh, Legatics. And so is it, is it fair to say, kind of looking at it, you, know, you said you had a small angel round and now you're on kind of Series A, but there's a few years kind of between that. Um, was that because you were able to kind of build up a customer base when it's been B2B? Did that kind of mean you were able to get kind of revenue fairly early on? And yeah, I was wondering how that impacted on kind of where you found yourself today. Sure. So um, we, we did um, the very first angel round we did was um, uh, £100,000 at that point. And the company was just me. And then we did another um, angel round a bit later, about £40,000. Um, but um, it was quite interesting. Um, we, around about the same time as we did the um, £440,000 round, customer revenue really started taking off. Um, and I think we were really unusual in that we um, pretty much never spent that money um, um, because the customer revenue started becoming more important to us than that fundraising okay. revenue. Um, and I think we were probably quite rightly criticized by some of those investors for saying, um, you know, like, what, what, why, why didn't you... Um, and this money faster, um, why um, you're quite unusual as a startup in that regard. Um, but um, I think our focus really changed there. Okay, so I mean, uh, yeah, it, having been you know, fairly self-sufficient for a, a, a while, I won't say not less than the angel money, I mean, did that put you in a 
but did that make the the conversations when you're doing your Series A kind of an, an easier conversation because you know, you're showing you were kind of cash flow positive by that point? Absolutely. I mean, for, for as long as you um, want to try and get um, angels to um, you know value you off um, your bigger vision and things like that. Um, um, a lot of the venture capital firms will always come back to some kind of multiple of revenue. So um, in that being tied to revenue, even if you get the higher end of that multiple, there's still a revenue um, component of that. So that was really, really important in enabling us to raise uh, a much larger round. Yeah, I suppose what it makes it maybe slightly more difficult is, is when, you know, if you're kind of pre-revenue, you can talk about potential revenue, but once you're actually... You know, you started to get some revenue. Does it then? Is it is was the conversation more around that revenue you've got and whether you can scale that up rather than some kind of theoretical kind of big number that, that you've got? Um, did it? Yeah, cause it could act the other way around, couldn't it? It could make it the conversation too focused on your current numbers. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I did think that. Um if you were just at idea stage, then you can kind of pitch this however you like, and yeah, um, yeah. you've got the potential to, <laughs> to, to, to raise more. And you see sometimes pre pre revenue companies raising enormous amounts, and just think, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think having to build revenue really makes you it makes you prove your business model. It shows um, a certain growth rate. It shows a certain customer acquisition cost, a certain customer acquisition um, uh, rate. Um, and I think um, on the one side that, that proves everything and it's a much easier to com- conversation to have. But um, I think if you want to try and tell a story that then departs from that journey, um, that's more difficult. Yeah. Uh, just finally, on your kind of, so you, you transition from a data scientist to a lawyer and now to a kind of founder of a tech company. Um, I, I, I can absolutely see where, where you came from. I think, you know, the, the legal area, field has so much kind of inefficiencies and frustrations. I mean, this is a, a, a classic one where you saw a problem and tried to solve it. I mean, um, if anyone else in kind of that, that situation now who's, who's listening and thinks, I'm in an industry, there's lots of inefficiencies here, what would you recommend uh, to them of, of, of how you approach this? Um, I, I think it's probably the best place to start a company um, is knowing your problem, being able to... Um, feel the pain point as um, the customer yourself. I think that gives you um, so much knowledge and I'd be quite scared of anybody who is um, starting something outside of the space they knew really, really well. Um, It depends on the type of business you want to grow. Um, uh, If it's a software business, then the software is going to be a really important component of that. Um, So myself, because I had quite a technical background, uh, I could take the route of um, programming a prototype myself and... um, uh, the further you can get along that journey of um, proving you can get a product together, proving that product can get customers, um, the later in a way you can leave that fundraising, the better position you'll be in when you do actually go for it. Yeah, and did you use those, um, yeah, as you were kind of leaving to, to take on this venture, did you, um, uh, you know, the company you worked with, did you make those connections and then say, look, I'm, I'm going off to do this, I'm going to solve a problem, you'll see me in X amount of time after I built the M- MVP and, uh, you know, did, did you use that to, to build up your initial customer base? Um, and my initial conversation with them, with them was um, that I was going to leave, and if this didn't work out, could I have my job back? <laughs> and, uh, they said no, because it makes it too difficult to, to hire a replacement, but um, I could always apply again. Um, I, I, 
I, I actually left first. I decided I wanted to go and do something else, so, so I left first. But then I did use that connection to go and demo the product, to get demo wireframes, to get feedback on them, to say, if I build this, will you come? I think you can do so much in the kind of um, lean approach of proving out the idea before you can build anything, asking people, you know, where would you click on in this wireframe? How much would you pay for this? Can you give me a letter of intent to show that you'd actually pay for this? Um, you know, will you pay up front? Like, how far can you test that um, and really prove your idea? Yeah. The, the customer that really leaps on it happens to be a different law firm, actually, in the end. Um, but, um, uh, and I think I thought those connections would be more important than they were. I think, um, okay. I think I felt quite awkward about approaching customers in the beginning. And I thought, oh, I have to know someone there or ask someone who I know someone. And actually, what was really successful later was just phoning up partners in law firms and saying, hi, you know, this is me. I've built this product. Are you interested? And we got a really great response from that. Um, so, um, I don't think you, ha- you have to use connections. Anthony, thank you very much for, for sharing that kind of with us. Um, Francesca, uh, looking at kind of Bimble now, uh, as, as kind of uh, Manolis kind of alluded to, there's some, some massive players, aren't there, in the kind of recommendations, uh, reviews kind of side of things. I mean, how did... Um, yeah, how did you approach this with your initial? I think you said, said you had an angel initial and a small seed, then this current seed round. How did you um, how did you approach that when you were seeking investment initially? In terms of the development in the room of, of, of the massive the massive players, was it a case of carving out a niche, taking them on? What what, what was your approach? So, because interestingly, our approach is different. So, for, for Square, which was mentioned earlier. Um, is probably our closest comparison, but really when we when we talk about redefining the category, we're talking about Yelp, we're talking about TripAdvisor, um, we look very closely at Google's approach as well. And where we are very different is on Bimble, you save the places that matter to you. So you're keeping your places and you're organizing them in a way which is useful to you and you are sharing them. Um, so the way we were able to present that to our investors was with that utility model. So Initially, we had set out to build a platform which talked about, uh, you know, which was peer-to-peer, peer-to-peer place discovery. But what we realized is to get people to create places, we needed to really understand what their pain points were. And we Mm -hmm. realized that there were pain points for users on an everyday basis. So no one can remember the names of the places that they go to. Um, We tested that. It's not about your age. It's that you might have been to a place, you might have been to New York on a trip Probably not last year, but but generally when you move around. I went to a great Mexican in Midtown. What was the name of that place? I can't remember. Makes it very difficult to go back to. Makes it very difficult to tell somebody else um, to make a recommendation about that. Um, We found that people weren't time... Well, they told us that they weren't spending their time as effectively because they would come across places in the weekend papers or they'd walk past the place that they wanted to go to. Mm -hmm. And then because they had nowhere to save it, they would forget about it. Um, So... For us, we drilled down into the user behavior and were able to present that. So we then similarly followed the lean process to to build basic technology and we got people signing up. We went to very early on for digital communities and got got traction there. And then we presented that to our investors, if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, it does. That's great. Thank you. There's always that question, isn't there, by investors, you know, what happens if... I don't know, Google, TripAdvisor, et cetera, decided to kind of take this approach. So, um, I thought we did get asked that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, the answer given was, would, would answer that, would it? In, in, 
from that well, I think what we also said is that really um, what is very clear is that the other, the, the big players in our category, um, we, we mentioned that they were 20 years old, but they're also very functionality based. Um, and yeah. what we understand resonates with today's consumer is being purpose driven and, and, and also yeah. having rich content and being a very inspirational site. And what we know those big companies tend not to do, um, you know, is, is move into a whole new area for them. Whereas we can actually build from the get go. Um, we can build that into our DNA. Um, and we also know that they have legacy problems where they have failed, unfortunately, to attract a millennial and certainly a Gen Z user base. Whereas we can launch and target um, a, yeah. a younger user base and, and tailor our product to their needs. Fantastic. Thank, thank you very much for, for sharing that with us. Um, you, you okay kind of meeting yourself now? Um, uh, Vid, if I can kind of uh, uh, go across to you now at uh, Kuwana, if I've kind of uh, pronounced that kind of correctly. Uh, now, you've gone from kind of uh, academia, but I think you said kind of before the academia, you went, you went and kind of set up uh, another business anyway. How did you find that, that process of moving from your, um, I suppose, kind of your, your more theoretical kind of quantum physics side and the simulations through to kind of startup world? Um, yeah, that, that, that's 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 a that's a that's a, um, a, a complex question because <laughs> it was it, it was quite a kind of a long process actually. So we went um, when I left academia, I went through uh, entrepreneur first. I kind of joined entrepreneur first uh, and built a company like I was a CTO at a company called GPN. Um, that so we raised um, actually two million for uh, and the idea there was to uh, support machine learning using uh, simulations. And the idea is a good one. I think many companies nowadays are doing it, but we kind of didn't commercially succeed, um, and uh, because for, for a number of reasons. Um, and uh, out of that sort of came the very specific, uh, uh, very specific focus that we're pursuing at Quano. And uh, so the whole process, obviously, because previously I was not involved really in, in the uh, in the commercial world at all. In some sense, uh, uh, I uh, so the, the whole process helped us, you know, build the networks and um, and like I said. Uh, the on the on the investor side, the investors w that are involved with Quano were in some form kind of part of the um, part of the conversation um, uh, prior to us founding the company. So yeah. we had a lot of a lot of stuff in the uh, you know in the mix um, already, and that was that was very very helpful. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, for, for those people that are in kind of academia now, and you know, often. Um, you know, a lot of um, kind of institutions will have kind of spin outs or um, kind of, you know, they'll, they'll try and kind of keep that within, um, have, have the, the university as, as part of that startup. Is that something that you kind of considered? But I mean, you, you went from that to the um, entrepreneur first, didn't you? And, and, and took that approach. Uh, was that a consideration um, in, the early, in the early days? Uh, no, I mean things. It, it 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 wasn't really. I mean, it was kind of like one thing led to another. So I never I never sort of took the university route. Uh, I know it's possible. I know that it's also kind of difficult uh, in the UK because the universities uh, often take a very large share, and that makes it difficult to raise raise money. Uh, but there are also very obviously very um, good investors linked to universities, and there are accelerator programs that that I know other companies went through. Yeah. Uh, that that, and, and that that other companies went through and um, made a success out of um, out of that process. Um, okay. Mm. 
yeah, I would say that the, sort of the most difficult thing really going from a university project, and at the moment, you know, like just from my department at UCL, there are probably four or five companies that have in one, one form or another, you know, spun out, whether directly as part of UCL or otherwise. And I think the big challenge that unifies all of us really is that uh, starting from a tech idea, it's very, very hard to sort of reverse engineer an actual application that the market cares about. And that's by far what took the longest. And, um, and, uh, and I think that's sort of the whole process really from the time that I left university a few years ago to now has been really about that. Um, Great, thank you. And, and could you tell us a bit more about kind of Entrepreneur First? Um, you know, you were there for, was it a couple of years, was it, that, that um, you were there? Can you tell us about that? Well, th- three years, I can see here. Can you tell, tell us about um, what Entrepreneur First do and, and how you found it, please? So, uh, yes, uh, so just to make it clear, Kwanu has not no direct link to Entrepreneur First. No, 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 I'm, I'm just thinking kind of with, with your kind of, your, your history, I think it's interesting, you know, uh, could that be a route that, that other people go around to go get some experience, kind of pre kind of founding their own startup? Yeah, absolutely. So I would, I would actually, uh, I, I think it's, um, uh, Entrepreneur First is a, is a program that I think it's changed since I was part of it uh, in 2018. I think it's, it's grown. I mean, it, it, I, I know that it's grown massively, and I think probably certain processes have changed. Yeah. Uh, what I think the, uh, there are great benefits, and there's also potential. Uh, it's sort of the I think the success rate is not massive, so people shouldn't go in expecting, you know, success. It's hard work, and it's also uh, there's a huge element of luck because it's a really compressed process. Um, mm-hmm. So what it what what it is? I mean, just to kind of summarize it briefly, is is that it's 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 actually designed for uh, pre uh, pre pre company formation. So people come in just with ideas, and the idea of the, the, the sort of process tries to link up uh, founders to, in order to create the company, and then entrepreneur first uh, sort of take eight percent. I think I don't know if that's changed, and invest um, uh, an, an amount that's something around hundred k to, to mm-hmm. start the company if if you kind of get to the point where you you manage to to formulate an idea clearly yeah. and, and it looks good so that is great and i think the the great benefit of entrepreneur first is the network and the mentors good i think we lost your audio again yeah uh, and, and also uh, it's also something back. worth singling out in terms of like lead in terms of uh uh, sort of uh, process uh, accelerators that are linked to academia. Uh, with Quano, we went through uh, Creative Destruction Labs, which is somewhat different, but I think they also accept companies that are pretty much pre-formation or at very, very early stage. Uh, in certain, it, that depends on the track exactly. So uh, in the case of Quantum, that's the case. I'm not sure about other tracks. And that's, I think, um, a different program that's, I think, very, uh, very good. So I would highly recommend that. Um, Brilliant. Well, thank you for sharing kind of uh, that with us on back at Quano. Uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, video okay to kind of uh, mute yourself now. And uh, uh, Jonathan, um, you, you like, aren't you? Just going to pick up on, on, on one aspect initially. I mean, they always say that, uh, that you know, investors look at the, uh, the, the the founders. It's good to have co-founders. You had a, a, a five-person founding team. Um, how, how did that work, and how was that going to be received by by investors in the early stage? I think you've you've had your pre-seed series A and series B. Yeah, so you know, a, a lot of it comes down to again, Sammy, our, our CEO and his view on life, which which is generally around you've got to have amazing people around you, and 
you know, you'll kind of figure out the details later on. Um, you know, we each brought different things to, to the table earlier on in at the beginning of the journey. Um, and it was felt that we, you know, we were a good fit together. Uh, I think one of the, you know, the concerns that investors have in the beginning around these things are around focus, around how do you actually work together as a team. And I think that, you know, we we were at the stage where we could, you know, trust each other as founders that all five of us didn't effectively need to be at each pitch meeting or meet each investor because we know we've got different responsibilities. So I think for us, uh, because of who we are and the way we were able to present ourselves, it's always been seen as a strength as opposed to, to, to anything else. And had you worked together before or did the, um, the CEO kind of bring together that kind of initial kind of founding team? No, so we hadn't worked together before. Some of us kind of knew each other, but not not, not in any formal capacity beforehand. Um, so, so it was very much Sammy finding, uh, you know, the right people, uh, you know, to 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 bring the the, the mission to life. Um, and it is a big mission. So, you know, he he had experience within the insurance, the financial services world beforehand. Sam, our CEO. Um, just one of these incredible get stuff done type people. Josh, our, our product and chief product and tech officer is brilliant at building stuff, but literally has no idea what insurance is. Or he, he kind of knows a little bit more today, but still still doesn't love to, to, to yeah. understand it. Um, and then, you know, my, myself, I had experience in, in working with startups and uh, as well as being relatively technical on an actuarial and insurance side. Um, and then Yaku, who was the last co-founder to join as well, had some very big corporate insurance experience as well as building a, a similar type of product in South Africa a few years ago. So uh, different skill sets coming together and yeah, so far so good. Brilliant. And, um, and, and so you've gone through your classic kind of pre seed series A and series B and a lot of kind of, you know, insure tech, fintech, they require kind of chunky money. Um, mm. You know, know that you're going to be having these kind of later on kind of rounds. Um, how much of that was kind of planned out and, and you know, I, I don't know if you were kind of heavily involved in the fundraising kind of side of things, but, you know, it, in the early stages, how did you kind of select who you worked with and did you kind of have a view who you want to work with kind of later on? It'd be interesting to hear that, that, that kind of thought process and journey, please. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I'd love to obviously tell you that every every step has been clearly thought out and we've focused <laughs> on, on, on exactly the plan that was set five years ago. But I think, you know, there's literally no one in the world who would believe that, of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, so things have gone uh, in, in, in a lot of ways better than we could have hoped. Um, but we have been very fortunate, and I think, in, in each of the funding rounds to find some you know, some, some investors who, who not only were amazing investors, but also very much aligned to our vision and could also then help us on the, the pathway to that next round of funding because, you know, there are a few of them. So, you know, for us in the beginning meeting with, with, with Local Globe, we, we found some incredible people there who, who gave incredible expertise. And um, we're also very fortunate to have some other funds as well very, very early on, like Anthemus as well, um, who have very deep expertise within in the sector. And, and then from where you're all around, haven't they? Yeah, everybody's followed all, all the way through uh, yeah. local globe now through through latitude. But uh, yes, so if, if we, we've lost no one along the way, which is which is incredible. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, I think the, the the big thing that that I learned from Sammy throughout this process is when you're already picking an investor for a round, you need to also think about what that will mean for the next round as well. Can these people help you to get the next one? Because you always have to try and be one step ahead as well. So even though at the time, you know, we were raising our seed and we had a huge amount to do, one of the questions already was is, 
are these people? Can they be partners in helping us to actually get the next the next round? And they were. There was an introduction specifically. Uh, yeah, I think it was Anthem who introduced us to Crandon for for the A round, etc. So it's very much around picking you know long term partners, not just for 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 the check that they 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 can write now. So it's always about looking at that at least next round or next two rounds ahead and. and can they not only follow, sorry, follow, but how will it, uh, you know, help or detract from that next round? Okay, thank you very much, Jonathan. Um, we'll wrap up kind of this session. I'll hand you over to Stuart uh, for the final third of the hour. Perfect. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, so we'll do the same again. We'll start at the top and go around. So, Anthony, you're back in the hot seat there. Um, yeah. So an interesting story, and again, like I think Milord and Andrew were both saying, without. Uh, over the sort of 21 weeks, quite a lot looking at the legal sector, which is definitely still feels very sort of um, problematic, shall we say? Try to buy a house, my God, never again. Um, but it'd be good to understand, Anthony, so from your side, how are you sort of going to grow your space over the next six to 12 months and accelerate growth? Or are you looking to build and double down on the product? Or are you looking to do uh, 50-50? Just be good to get some context from yourself on that. Um, so we're in the 50-50 category. We're both um, planning on bringing the product to many more customers and building more in it. I think um, yeah, it's it still um, in our space um, <clears throat> managing legal transactions that um, there's just so many directions that we could take the product in. There's so many pieces of ancillary um, uh, software or ancillary problems that we could solve. Um, how are legal documents generated before they get into our platform? What happens to them afterwards? How are legal practices managed, how does legal billing occur? Um, there's so many things around that um, that we could integrate with, build, maybe even buy, um, that we um, uh, we feel we can never stop on products and we feel there's just so much more. We've only just scratched the surface of the um, kind of um, automation and efficiency savings that we can bring lawyers. Um, but we also really want to bring our products to many more people. Um, we um, uh, want to make significantly um, significant inroads into the US, um, into Asia Pacific as well. Um, so we're both doubling down on product and bringing our products to more people. Perfect, perfect. And how are you going to market and securing customers? Are you going through a sort of partner model, um, direct blend of marketing? How are you uh, acquiring your new customer base? Um, so, so far we've been going direct to to customers. Um, we found that it's um, quite a, a sort of nuanced and complicated conversation that we have with our customers. So we're um, asking um, law firms to do um, client critical work in a, in a new way. Um, and that conversation has to be quite a good conversation. Um, it has to be with somebody who's, who's knowledgeable from our company. Um, and we haven't felt ready so far to give that relationship to somebody else. I think as um, the, the software that we have now is becoming more and more standard um, and people are more used to seeing it on their legal transactions. And I think the more that happens, the easier our sell will become um, and the less um, uh, the less compl complicated sell it's likely to become. Um, so we've recently had people um, buy us um, sort of on reputation and um, having seen us on the other side of legal transactions alone, um, whereas previously we had to do a lot more explaining about what the product is. Um, so I think the future might enable us to do things like look at um, partner sales channels. 
yeah, you're definitely going the right model there in terms of um, basically being able to sell it yourself, position it yourself, get the onboarding correct, all that sort of component before you go out to a partner channel because that's where it can definitely fall over. You need the confidence around that. But also it starts to define what your true customer looks like and you can segment it out. You know, I'm a great believer you've got to sell your product first yourself and, and then you can go out and sort of build that sales team or that channel model. Otherwise, it's you try to ask them to do something that you can't do. Yeah, I think so. So we spend a huge amount with our of time with our customers as well. Once they bought the product, helping them adopt it, um, and we're really giving them um, quite a kind of carefully crafted experience from very first contact, contact to the way we support them to the way they roll out the technology within their law firms. Um, and I think we, we, before we could give any aspect of that to to anyone else, we need to make sure that it was um, that you've really got it right internally. That you've really um, nailed your internal onboarding, your systems, your processes around that. Um, but I think it would, I think we, if, if we did do that, we'd be thinking very, very carefully about which bits um, we gave out, um, you know, and, and to what extent we did that and how we kept um, on top of what kind of conversations um, any third party was having. So um, it's not something we've done today, but um, something that we potentially, um, see as an option for the future um particularly if we're trying to get to a different level of scale yeah most definitely because it, it feels like you, you'd be reaching out sort of tiered part um not tiered partners tiered customers in terms of large law practices small high street ones that sort of thing it just help give you that scale but yeah do, do it when you need to do it so perfect thanks anthony you can take a break now uh, no problem at all i'm going to move over to yourself francesca uh, and ask similar sort of questions but also just to say i wish i wish i had bimble when i've been traveling around for the last 10 years or so because it's finding those little small places that you you can remember in your head and you can never find again because it was down some side street somewhere and it's <laughs> really frustrating <laughs> it's like my gosh i'd love to hear that yeah and yeah, it was interesting you talking about Foursquare as well, because I work for a company called DataSift and we approached Foursquare, gosh, about 10, 10 12 years ago now, 10, 10 years mm-hmm. ago, um, just to buy that. We, we had access to Twitter's Firehose at the time. We wanted to buy the location data of Foursquare and they just made the decision before they were going to go contracting with us to keep that data in-house, um, else it may have been a little bit of a different story. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, that is interesting. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was interesting. It was painful for me because it was six months of negotiation, and then they backed out sort of a week before. So, oh god, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was. It was fun. It was fun anyway. Got plenty of time over in the US. Sat there eating pizza, which was good. Um, but yeah, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be good to understand from from your side how how you're growing out as well, because obviously you are in a competitive market, but differentiator, um, and now you've got investment. That's great. But how are you going to start and get new users on board, and what's the, the plan to sort of grow and accelerate that over the next six months? Yeah, I think so. I think what closed our last raise, if, if they, just for context, we launched. Um, you know, an app related specifically to places in February 2020. And by March, and, you know, it was the middle of 2020, by March, obviously, there was a global pandemic. People weren't traveling, businesses were closing, and people were forced to stay in their homes. So it was the worst possible timing for us. Yet through that, there was obviously an acceleration in digital adoption from people. You wouldn't necessarily have expected to see that in our category. We didn't expect to see it. And nevertheless, we measure ourselves against um, more of a Silicon Valley approach. So we look at our average weekly growth rate and we were hitting 
really strong um, weekly growth rates, which were in line with um, it's a five to seven percent weekly growth rate that you look for to hit that Y Combinator benchmark that you are a rapid scale startup. And we hit that consistently through 2020. Um, thank goodness. Um, and I think that is what got the attention of the investors when we came to raise money in 2020 because we closed that round in eight weeks. Um, but our job now, so we have found, fortunately, that it has been relatively straightforward and inexpensive. We've got a CPA of around one pound fifty, so it's quite inexpensive for us to get new users. Our job for this next year um, is to engage those users, which we're already doing. So we also have a high create metric. So over a third of our user base then go on to create content. So that puts us on a par with Instagram's create metric. To give you some context, Pinterest have a much lower create metric of around 25%. So those those are our strong figures. Our job now is, you know, to get drawing on what somebody else was just saying. It's about adoption. It's about getting people, um, you know, really adopting Bimble into their lives so that when they go to a place, they add it, they talk about it, they share it. Um, we see a lot of planning of holidays. We see a lot of championing local and independent businesses. Our next drive is to make sure that people are doing it in their everyday life. Um, and yes, same, similar to Anthony, I think we're saying we will always have a 50-50 commitment to product and acquisition. I think that's really important. Particularly, we are a much earlier stage product than everyone else. Um, you know, we're still building out our critical features. So for us, it is... Um, really honing in on the geolocational aspect of our platform, um, um, continuing to build out our social features. Um, and the thing we haven't really touched on actually in this conversation at all is that our whole angle is looking through the lens of neighborhoods, communities, and independent businesses. So we're not about every place in the world. We are about independent businesses because those are the places that our audience want to go to. Um, and so we want to actually, you know, we will be bringing those businesses and their voices onto the platform in a meaningful way as well. Um, so that that is really our plan going forward. And then on the distribution side, we have really started our work. So where we've closed a raise, we've obviously increased the size of our team. We're, we've, we've invested really heavily in data and understanding the user behavior from a data perspective on the platform. And we're using that information to optimize all of our marketing efforts um, across the board, whether it's looking at geolocation, you know, from a, from a, from a location perspective where we should be targeting what audiences, but also how we talk to them. We've just done a whole piece of work on, on our empathetic message and how, how our competitors use that and how we respond. Um, so yeah, op optimizing all of our digital marketing efforts as well. Um, and then the work that we are doing, two pieces of work that are slightly amusing now, like we are, we are now starting to really work on our monetization. So we've just got our small team working on that. And I opened a folder last week, um, called Series A, <laughs> which, you know, in many ways it feels like we've just closed DB, um, but 12 month runways come around super, super quickly. So, so our drive for the autumn is absolutely Series A. Unfortunately, yeah, that's your job now. It's just ongoing financing. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, in, it's interesting because that, that's what the question I was going to ask you. The monetization model, are you going to monetize it against the actual small businesses themselves in the future? Whereas at the moment now, you're building the users that are grabbing that data, capturing it. I'm just looking at Lancashire at the moment. Some great places on there. Some some very good people around here that spot them, like Gaze Hill, which is up the road from me. Um, but yeah, it'd be good to understand sort of quickly about what the monetization plan is. Yeah. Uh, so yes and no with regard to small businesses. Um, they're a really important part of our platform, but we don't want to, you know, want to learn from the errors of the past. We won't, we won't 
ever build an opportunity for those businesses to pay to get exposure. Everything that we're battling against is, you know, the lack of trust, the lack of authenticity in the other platforms. So the the recommendations come from our community of users. We are then building a place page for the businesses so that they can use that to communicate with their customers and that will be monetized. Um, so what we're doing there is we are understand just at a really super high level because there's a lot to say here. Websites don't work for independent businesses because they don't know how to drive traffic to them. They don't know how to optimize for Google. Social media platforms are very fast moving and aren't designed, you know, they're designed for all kinds of content, not just independent businesses. So we want to give them a space where they're in a community of qualified users who are looking to go out, but that they can communicate really effectively with them. But there's a huge amount of add-on benefits that we can do, which we would make um, as a subscription model. So really giving them access to useful and meaningful data in a way that they can understand um, you know, helping them to get things right. As I said, optimization, we can we can do that for them. Um, so we see ourselves in that way as disintermediating the offering from web.com and wix.com because um, we know that they're paying for those services, but they're not delivering in the way that they could. Perfect, perfect. I'll, I'll connect with the afters as well, just um, just around some of those small businesses ideas as well, because it's the same with the SMS company that I'm part of at the moment. But again, thanks for being so insightful. insightful. Uh, I'm going to jump. Yeah, over I'd love to, that. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. I'm going to jump over to yourself, Vid, uh, next, just to understand, and apologies because uh, I've run over my time. We're going to have to very quickly understand a little bit about what you're using your investment for. Um, are you looking to build out opportunities or is it about building out the actual um, platform and what you're developing at the moment? Yeah, um, it, it, it's a combination of, of, of kind of all those things. The, the really crucial thing for us is, um, uh, is, is uh, well, so is to link up the long-term vision really with, with uh, short-term commercial traction. Uh, and um, we are, like I said, we are developing actual molecules for specific uh, drug targets for, for specific drug targets and um, the one of the challenges for us is how, how do we choose oh, sorry Vid we've lost audio on you there again yeah I'm losing Vid's audio as well yeah. Vid I'm gonna, sorry I'm going to jump over to Jonathan and see if we can just wrap you know, up at the end the companies that are looking to do these things oh. so uh, essentially we, we have picked uh, certain targets that are semi-validated that we're working on uh, right now that are both there to validate the tech and to um, link us up to hot areas where the technology and uh, can make a difference, real difference to drug development. It's usually in the oncology area, sort of just the kind of places in the cancer therapeutics. Uh, and um, uh, so basically part of the money is to do wet lab work to validate these semi internally so that we can internally validate these targets that we picked. And then what we're looking for as well is targets that are adjacent to that, which puts us kind of in the, um, you know, the aim is to put us as close as possible to the relevant area and for the process to serve as a stepping stone towards that asset development. So we're essentially, uh, you know, uh, developing, de developing the business development function in the company to achieve that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, the challenge there is the type of deal, type, types of deals that we're looking for because uh, we need to, um, one of the key questions for us is how, how do we deal with IP, right? Because in the early stage deals, we need to 
essentially almost act as a service company where the IP is with the biotech that we're working with or with the pharma company that we're working with. And we need to transition from that to a, to a model, uh, you know, over the next few years where we are developing and keeping uh, the IP. So one of the sort of challenges there is to um, focus on those areas that are not going to destroy our future opportunities, but are going to, at the same time, help us build a business and um, get early traction. So essentially, the money is going for those two things uh, primarily. And there's, of course, an element of tech development as part of that. Perfect, perfect. Thanks thanks for that insight there, Vid. Uh, You can now now go and have a rest as well. I'm going to jump back onto Jonathan just for the top end of the show uh, and just understand again with yourself, Jonathan, you've, you're, 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 you've taken a big chunk of money there. Obviously you're already on a, a journey. Um, what's, what's the rationale behind? Is it accelerating the journey? Keep it carrying on. Um, what are you going to be doing over the six to 12 months with, uh, with yourselves? Yeah. So very much around expansion, um, both within the UK. So we, we want to look to double, triple down on, on local growth, um, with a continue to obviously invest heavily into our, our products and, and, the, and the roadmap that we've got built on that. Um, and then a part of it will also be used to start looking at uh, international expansion. So very much just around doubling down now and, and hoping to, to accelerate all of the areas that are, are, are currently working. Yeah, and it seems that insurance and legal sector and all these sort of sectors at the moment are very hot for, for market changes and such and differentiators. And in terms of your sort of your, your present market outside of expansion, how are you standing above the parapet and gaining your customers at present? So we're relatively unique in our market that we work both in terms of um, selling direct to companies and also working through some fantastic partners and, and intermediaries. And um, historically, and, and pretty much everyone else in the market only sells through through intermediaries and brokers. Um, so we do both, uh, which I think can sometimes causes some some fun tension. But it also allows us not only to to win. Uh, work and to win clients from from the existing market, but also to very heavily focus on growing the market. So to bring in a lot new a lot of new companies into the fold of, of group risk protection. So I think for us, you know, those are the two areas both locally that we'll continue to work on heavily is is winning more of the existing market, um, and then really pushing heavily to bring more companies into the fold and, and just make the entire market bigger uh, for everyone. Perfect, perfect. Well, thanks again for joining us, Jonathan, and thanks everybody for joining us on the show today. Uh, I'm now going to hand over to Mod, uh, Manoj for final notes and uh, wrap up the show. Uh, thank you so much, Stuart. And uh, what's uh, four great stories we heard? Um, it's amazing what uh, people are building these days, and uh, it's all happening in the UK. So, on, on behalf of the team, thank you so much for giving one hour of your time. I know it's a busy day, Monday, uh, but we've selected this time and we're sticking with it. Um, th- th- thanks so much, Anthony, Francesca, uh, Witt, and Jonathan for joining us. Uh, we're going to get this um, uh, recording updated and uh, hopefully we will have a channel on Spotify so that uh, all our past recordings will also be there. Uh, I'll let you know, guys, when, when that's ready. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much.